Hey there, welcome to the What Connects podcast, where we explore human connection with people from Saskatchewan. Today, Jana Pratt shares her story about navigating the residential school system and the perspective she's gained through her daughter's battle with cancer. Let's get into it. All right, we're back with episode 41 of the What Connects podcast, powered by Connexus Credit Union. And today we're featuring someone who has been practicing resilience all of her life. Not only does today's guest, Jana Pratt, have her black belt, but she has been a fighter in all sense of the word. Over the past few years, there has been so much needed attention and conversation placed on the impact that residential schools has had on Canada's history and just how damaging it was to Indigenous culture. The heartbreaking investigation into unmarked graves and Indigenous children being ripped from their homes and forcibly assimilated into westernized culture, it has been on the minds and the hearts of Canadians as we continue down that path towards truth and reconciliation. These stories, they're they're needed more than ever. And today, Jana, who is a residential school survivor herself, she's going to share her experience, what she remembers, and that impact it's had on her. She'll also share how her daughter, Dream, is a fighter just like her mom. Dream was diagnosed with brain cancer just six days after she was born, and the odds have been stacked against Jana and Dream ever since. However, they continue to defy the odds, and you never know of the battle they've been taking on if you just met Jana, because she's just the most electric, positive attitude I've, I think this podcast has ever seen. You'll hear it for yourself here, but it's impossible not to smile when she talks, because she's so hilarious, but she also packs a punch in the wisdom she shares. She's going to share all about what it's like to be a mother of a child with complex medical needs how she navigates that roller coaster of emotions that come with Dream's medical journey and the impact it's had on her and her family. We'll also chat about the importance of the Jim Pattison Children's Hospital in Saskatoon and how it's been a game changer for Jana and Dream. So let's waste no more time and jump into the conversation. What connects it to Jana? Let's find out. Jana Pratt, welcome to the podcast. Hi, I'm really excited to be here. Thank you for inviting me. I'm so excited to have you here. Before we've even hit record on the podcast, we have discussed some really awesome things already. So I'm like, Mm -hmm. we have to stop. We have to hit record. Everybody needs to hear this. We have talked about how a couple weeks ago, someone tried to break in. You swapped them away with a judo belt. We talked about your cat's name. Tell me what your cat's name Um, is. Well, we've got two cats. Um, We've got Kitty and we've got Karen. And it's amazing, like swearing at Karen. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> she does, does she want to talk to the manager every time she gets fed? Pretty much. And like the funny thing about Karen is like you you had to name her with a K name because she's got a K marking right on her forehead. Oh, really? Does she have like the Karen haircut too? Oh, <laughs> uh, well, she is tricolored. No, she's, I always tell her like, Karen, you got to stay in the house. You're made for the, the sheets, not the streets. <laughs> <laughs> Kara's like, no, I have to go talk to the manager. I have to leave exactly. the house. Oh, that's funny. Um, tell me about getting almost broken into and having to swap them away. Oh, man. Okay, so a couple of weeks ago, you know, it was probably about 1230 a.m. Kids were in bed. Yeah. And it was a Friday night sitting there and somebody's knocking at my door. Of course, I answer it. Um, I go up and it's some random tall lady trying to push her way into my like house. And I'm like, what the heck? So I blocked the door. And the first thing I had, because I've got 
um, judo stuff by my door and I had a belt delivered, which is like I had to grab a new black belt because I got my black belt in judo when I was 17. So I grabbed this belt and I start hitting her with it and I pushed her out of my door. Yeah. (laughs) And then she's like, okay, okay. And then I'm leaving and I'm like, Oh my God, I can't believe it. After all of these years of training yeah. in judo. You swatted her with the belt. I swatted her with the belt. Like, <laughs> so Was she trying to like break in? Like, did she I want something? I have no idea. Like, this was just random. Interesting. She messed with, with the wrong chick. Like, exactly. she's you're like a, a champion judo athlete. Like, <laughs> surprised you didn't throw her or anything like that. You, But the, the, the irony about this is like, you took a black belt. Yeah. And hit it. And hit her, hit it with her. And like, I felt, and the crazy part about it is like, I'm the one that's getting this, like, you know, happening to me, but I felt so bad afterwards. (laughs) Like, I didn't want to hit her. (laughs) Well, if she's listening. (laughs) I'm sorry. I'm really sorry. (laughs) (laughs) Oh my gosh, Dad. Okay. This is going to be a great podcast because (laughs) as, as we've already established, you're a fighter. Um, And that's a theme that happens throughout your story. So let's just jump in with a quick introduction. Who is Jana Pratt? Give me some background on who you are so we can better well, understand your story. Well, I am definitely, as, as you said, a fighter. Um, uh, how would I describe myself? I would describe myself as like truly an activist. Um, I'm very outspoken. Um, my background comes from being like growing up and spending my formative years on on the reserve, which mm-hmm. is Gordon First Nation, as well as in the residential school and just doing a lot of sports. And so, you know, it that's what kind of formed me, especially living with my grandparents my entire life. Like my grandmas, my cookums, you know, like my mom was, I lived, I, I was kind of a cookums baby. I don't know if you ever heard that sure, term. Yeah. Yeah. So as a firstborn, and I went immediately to Grandma and Papa's house. <laughs> yeah. Oh, I love that. And you're a mother of two, right? Yeah. So I've got two kids. Um, I'm really love being a mom. My son is 15. His six one size 14 shoes and wow. 230. I'm like, holy man, he's like eating me out of house and home. <laughs> <laughs> Poor Karen's gonna be on the streets before you know it, right? <laughs> And then we've got Dream, of course, yeah. and Dream is just, she's the daughter I've been, pr- like, I prayed for for years. Yeah. She's exactly like me. And the thing is, I always wanted a daughter because I look exactly like my mom, except a little bit darker. Okay. So I wanted a daughter to look like me, mm-hmm. except just a little bit darker. Yeah. And that's what she looks like. <laughs> that's exactly what I, with curly hair. Yeah. She's got the beautifulest curls ever. Oh, I love that. So... We'll talk about all about the residential schools. We'll talk about Dream. We'll talk about how you're a fighter. First, let's talk about being a residential school survivor. That comes up early in your in your journey. Yeah. So your children are the first generation in your family to not go to a residential school. I'm yeah. I'm sorry that happened to you, but how would you describe that experience? I don't know. You're kind of giving me little tingles on my back because yeah. a lot of this stuff, like I don't think of myself. I, I do know that I like I did go to residential school. Yeah. And I started when I was seven years old. Yeah. Um, and it was me and my younger sister. So I was in grade two when she was going into grade one. And, you know, like we were kind of prepared to go because like of course, like we 
we were in like set number of generations in. So we yeah. kind of got this preparation. So how do you prepare? Like, what well, do- it was like, like being a cookums baby. It was like, okay, we got nobody to play with. My grandma was like, you can have lots of friends to play with, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, at the time, my uncles were in residential school as well, except they're in the seniors and I was in the juniors. Mm-hmm. Um, but other than that, it was a lot of learning. Yeah. Like, ugh like learning how to line up, learning how to cue, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, yep. learning how to pray. That yeah. wasn't really a normal thing. Yeah. Um, and just being just a number, right. you know what I mean? Just another number. Ugh. So what does that, what else did you learn like to adapt to? Like what was the intersection between your culture and then the residential school system? Well, I think the biggest thing, and it still carries on with me today, and we were talking about it earlier, about how I'm like, I'm used to being in the background. Yeah. I'm used to being a supportive person yeah. because I'm not comfortable with the attention on me. Yeah. Um, just because in residential school, I never wanted to stand out. Right. I wanted to fit in. Sure. So did you feel like there were times where... Like you were doing something that was completely normal to you and your culture that you got your wrist slapped or something that it's, no, that's not how it's supposed to be done. Um, You know, I don't remember anything specifically like that, but I mm-hmm. do remember, you know, getting chastised for being a kid. Yeah. You know what I mean? Just doing kid stuff. Right. Kid exploring, kid stuff. Yeah. I remember, you know, being eight years old and getting threatened to be beat up by other kids you know, um, I remember going on this sliding. We went sliding this one time mm-hmm. and there was a sliding hill by, behind the school. And I went with this other girl and I hit my foot, hit a rock. So I'd broken my foot. Oh, gosh. And I couldn't walk. My sister dragged me up the hill on a crazy carpet. Mm-hmm. And then another dude threw me on his back and carried me up to my junior dorm. Mm-hmm. You could clearly see the bone. It didn't puncture the skin but you could see where it was broken yeah but then the next day new supervisor who told me to quit playing around and walk on it properly oh my gosh so just weren't taken seriously right yeah and so when you said that you're almost beaten up that was just because of your race just because it was bullying you know in the school there was a lot of like student on student bullying yeah you know the pecking order and it's kind of what led me into judo yeah you know because but i it wasn't when i joined judo it was like where's everybody going yeah can i go too (laughs) you know for sure yeah and so we start exercising we start fighting and all of a sudden i was just something deep within me just kind of let loose yeah Wow. So you, you went into judo and you learn how to, I guess, protect yourself in that aspect. And you actually became like, quite successful at judo. Tell me a little bit about that. Yeah. So when I was younger, um, I kind of really excelled at fighting. It was kind of crazy. Um, and we went to hundreds of tournaments all over North America when we were, when I was younger. Um, I got my black belt when I was 17. Mm-hmm. I was the first First Nation woman to attain a black belt in judo our first indigenous woman in canada yeah um maybe even north america i don't know right um and i traveled like i won canada games i did wrestling as well yeah um just because my coach kim bergie is like dual sport person and of course dual sports were always you know, do as much as you can, keep yourself busy. Totally. Yeah. Awesome. And so now you have obtained a black belt and now you use it to 
fend off people that are trying to get into the house. <laughs> and it's crazy because, like, everybody's, like, you know, like, well, I remember when I was younger. Well, I, we start doing judo and I start excelling at it. Yeah. And my grandparents had to make this choice. Yeah. If, whether to pursue judo or continue powwow dancing. Oh, so because I did well in judo, yeah, kind of put that. the powwow trail behind us yeah. and did the, did the judo. Yeah. So I kind of feel bad because, like, you know, a lot of the culture that I would have learned on the powwow trail kind of sifted into Japanese culture. Yeah. So, so I'm highly, like, you know, I know a bit of Japanese and that comes, like, off as a little weird. Cause, like, <laughs> <laughs> no, that does make a lot of sense, like, though. It's one of the many languages that I can kind of speak. I right. can speak Spanish. Sure. Um, a little bit of German. Yeah. So that teaches you a lot, right? And you learn a lot through sport and competitive sport. What did that teach you about yourself? You know, a training with mm-hmm. a lot of training and mental preparation, you can always excel. Yeah. Like, you know, it's it's about the effort that you put inside. Yeah. You know, like you have to be able to be committed. Mm-hmm. You know, you have to train. You have to make sure that your body and your mind connect. Yeah. Um, but also trust your body because mm-hmm. a lot of times when I was fighting, my mind would go blank and I would just let my body take over. Instincts. Yeah. Yeah. Awesome. Um, so going back to residential schools, being a survivor, clearly there's a lot of conversation about everything about that now. So what does that feel like, um, as this conversation is being had and you're someone that has gone through these experiences, what do you reflect on? So not only do I reflect on my own experiences, I got the legacy that I carry from generations before. Mm. And I'm currently, like, I currently am the researcher for the George Gordon um, Residential School Committee. And, you know, when I was doing a lot of research back into the school, we are looking at from 1888 to Mm. 1996. And so I knew that my grandma had attended when she was born in 1914, but I didn't know about their parents and their parents and to realize that it wasn't just stop at her but it was like five generations six it's like holy crappers 108 years of history there it's quite deep rooted and it's four different buildings in two locations oh so the complexity of the searches and gardens is intense because Mm -hmm. a lot of schools only had the one location yeah and for short periods of time yeah whereas this is immense totally and what does that make you feel like when you're going through this research and you're starting to uncover a lot of these things? You know, it is sad. It is trying, you know, but we're in a time where every child matters. So mm-hmm. finding these children and the names and the dates, even where they are, is so important. And mm-hmm. actually sharing this information is really important because Canada need like Canadian residents need to understand like why we are where we are, right? Mm-hmm. Why do we see this guy drunk on the street? Well, right. you know, look at him. His hurt, obviously, yeah. has went through life that nobody can even imagine. Mm-hmm. So if anybody's listening to this podcast and they don't know a lot about residential schools and they're wondering, like, what's she talking about? Like, what does this look like? I'm, I'm listening to this podcast. I want to learn. How would you describe that experience for them? One of the things that I would recommend doing is, you know, the first things first is looking at the truth and reconciliation Mm -hmm. and the calls to action Mm -hmm. and seeing how you can fit into that. Mm -hmm. When you want to learn the history of residential schools in general, 
you know, take a look and see which school was nearest to you mm-hmm. and learn about that school. So here in Regina, we got the Regina Indian Industrial School. And that only ran for about 20, 30 years. And mm-hmm. then it turned into re- the Regina Gowl, which then turned into other things. So, mm-hmm. you know, it's very important that we accept that this happened near us and close to us. Yeah. So when I do a lot of talks and I do talk to people and do presentations, one of the things I do is I ask the question, if you were born in the 1980s, can you stand up? And people, a lot of, depending on the audience, but there's a lot of people born in the 80s and I tell them, look around because you would be the last generation to have attended school with me. Wow. And so when we talk about assimilation, you talked about how you had to pray, learn how to cue. What other moments of assimilation did you feel like? The biggest thing I think was when we were issued our numbers Mm. and you know, we were issued numbers to, it was also for laundry. So everything we had to mark wasn't all by our names. Mm -hmm. Like, you know, like when you put your mom, your name, your mom put your name on your clothing when you're at school. Yeah. Yeah. Not in residential school. You are marked by your number. So there wasn't a name. That's so so gross. So what was that like from a family dynamic? You know, my sister was with me, so I always felt protective of her. Like I had to like, you know, she was, I had to back her up. She had to back me up. We were like just tight. You Mm -hmm. know, when my other sister came in, same thing. Um, With my grandparents, though, it was different because we lived on the reserve. Yeah. And so the school was like so close to the house. Right. And, but I was able to see my grandparents, you know, my papa worked in the school as a boiler man. My grandma worked at the band office. So I did see them regularly, but it wasn't home. Yeah. You know, like it's still not like it's close to home, but it wasn't home. Right. Makes sense. So looking back now, what kind of emotions do you carry about that experience? Yeah. I went through a long time where I actually didn't remember that time in my life. My mind completely blocked it out. Um, what I had to do to go into remembering about it was when we were doing the independent assessment process, which is where we're suing Canada. Yeah. And the, so I had to go through and relive all of those memories, but also too, as my lawyer recommended that I go through a psychological analysis. Wow. So I had to stay open for six months and let all of these memories just flood into my mind. And it was a really hard process. So you like had repressed some memories. A lot of repressed memories. So what kind of memories kind of flooded back to you during that time? (sighs) I I think of all the kids I went with, Mm -hmm. like a lot of them, like some of them, like I I always thought I would remember all of their names, Mm. but I don't. Right. Like I remember we had this fire alarm and so... We're all coming out and we had to go on the boys side because we were part of the junior dorm and the juniors used the boys side. So we're running through the boys side and there was this little kid yelling, let me burn, let me burn because he didn't want to get up at 3 a.m. and go outside for the fire alarm. And so afterwards, we always called him, let me burn. And I and like it just like I hate the fact that I can't remember what his real name is. Interesting. Like, I think the biggest thing that's, that I affect, that really affects me is the fact that I don't like attention, mm. you know? And I told you, like, I have a hard, a yeah. really hard time being out in public, speaking in public. It was a learned thing for me. Yeah. Where I've had to just, like, relax. You just get me. Um, yeah. If I'm the center of attention, that's okay. But it's still hard for me to accept it. Yeah, because you wanted to adapt. You wanted to fit in. Right. Wow. So... What does it mean to you now that your kids can have a 
different experience in their childhood and their education? You know, I don't even know how I could give up my kids. Right. Like, man, I think about my grandma Virginia. My grandma Virginia was born in 1914, so she went to residential school. Yeah. And then her kids went to residential school. So she didn't have, like, she didn't raise any of her kids because they were all forced yeah. to go to school. And I'm thinking, sitting here thinking, like, I could never be away from my kids. Mm-hmm. Like, they're what, that that's what I live for, yeah. is their, you know, their well-being. They're, uh, I feel happy as long as they're happy. Yeah. You know, I'm happy as long as they're fed, clothed, whatever. Um, that's what drives me. And it's one of the biggest tragedies about residential schools is people were forcibly taken from their families. And that's, like you, you say, like anybody listening to this that has kids, even nephews, cats, anything like that, right? that you love something so much and it's ripped away from you. Well, it's not only ripped away from you. It's like you have to let it go yeah. or we're going to throw you in jail. Exactly. Yeah. You like know? you have no choice in this matter and it's going to be assimilated into like a culture that that isn't yours unless you have that generation that it, that was also forced upon you. Right. And like, you know, even like the only, the only option you had as a parent back in the day is maybe the control of which schools your child went to, whether yeah. it was Anglican or Catholic or whatever, because, you know, one of the stories in my family is that the Anglican school at one time was pretty gross mm-hmm. um, just due to how they built the school. Right. And so they thought that the Catholic school in Muskowakin would treat them better. So they all converted to Catholicism mm-hmm. to go to Muskowakin and Labrette schools. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. So you have no control about that. But now you, your kids, they can attend a school with and still have their mom, like all of that sort of stuff. What and kind it's of a- amazing because like my, my son goes to Seven Stones. He went to Seven Stones school. Yep. Then he's now in Scott Collegiate, both very First Nation um, approach to education where mm-hmm. my son is learning about the four um, main medicines, yep. um, you know, in in his class in in high school right now is taking some beating. Yeah. <laughs> and the cool thing about him is, you know, he's in these classes now and his reading about First Nation, you know, very prominent people mm-hmm. and he's recognizing names because they're, you know, with Talked about it. Talked about them before or we've met them or, you know. Yeah. Oh. So he said that his best experience this past Orange Shirt Day is we went to a book reading by Elisa Bird Wilson, who happens to be a long lost cousin that we lost in the 60s scoop. Mm-hmm. She wrote a book. So she had a reading at the library. Mm. So we went and listened to her read. But it, for us, that was our resilience. Yeah. Was reconnecting with family. Yeah. You know, like, you know. Out of all of the policies that have affected our lives yeah. that Canada made, we're like, you know, reconnecting and gaining our family back. And to me, that's what Orange Shirt Day should be about. Yeah, it's a reunion. Like, do whatever you can to reconnect with your culture, your families, yes. everything. Oh, it's so awesome that he gets to go to school and celebrate that history. Whereas right? years ago, not that many years ago, that was trying to be forced out of him. Right. Like, you know, I always believe in like really good education, but education has to be rounded. Like you have to make sure you see yourself in this, in that history, in that, just in the whole talk of it. Like you can't be an outsider learning about, let's say you're 
I don't know, a Canadian learning about some other country because that's how it feels for us. Like yes. we're here, excuse me, we're here in Canada, but we weren't really included in that Canadian context. Yes. Oh, how can we best support anyone that has survived residential schools? Don't talk over them. Mm. Listen, listen to what they have to say. And that's what I felt was wrong with this past Orange Shirt Day mm. is everybody had their own opinions on it. And those o opinions on it were overpowering the message from the survivors. Interesting. And it's the messaging from the survivors. Yeah. That should be the most important thing. So as people are starting to educate themselves, formulate their own opinions, and they want to have a conversation about it, what's getting drowned out is the actual stories. Right. Like, I I was on this Facebook group, and they were talking about, it was a lot of gaslighting. Well, how could this happen? How could this happen? Yeah. And I'm like, dude, just realize that this did happen. Yeah. This is a sign it happened. Like, there's some skepticism. Right. Right. And it was like, well, it was about the story about a girl being pregnant at some age. Mm -hmm. And they were like, well how could she get pregnant at this age? And I'm like, well, let's call it precocious puberty. Yeah, honestly. <laughs> you know, talk to my endocrinologist about that, our yeah. dreams endocrinologist <laughs> about that. <laughs> yeah, honestly. <laughs> um, let's talk about Jana's Law. So this is something that is really exciting. So tell me about, first of all, why you decided to run for band council for George Gordon First Nation. Was following in my grandma's footsteps. Oh, okay. Um, my grandma was the first first woman counselor on Gordon First Nation, mm -hmm. and you know she kind of brought me up a little political. You know, knowing the ins and outs and elections and all of that stuff. Sure. And so I had moved to the reserve the year before because I'm like, you know, I can just drive from the reserve to Regina and yep. you know do my job at Zastel. Sure. I was doing that. But I also found that their community, you know, like um, I was thinking, okay, you know what? I do have some skills I want to bring, you know, and share with the community. And I was getting asked. So I got nominated and I couldn't start campaigning until I knew I could get some time off if I was elected in. Yeah. Because I was fine doing the campaigning. You know, I was working part time campaigning. But if I got in, I'd wanted to vote my entire time yep. to, you know, the work that I that the people would have asked me to do. Right. And I couldn't do that until I knew I got time off. So there, what there is this law previously that gave you time off if you're running for election in municipal, provincial, or federal. Yeah. So my ask was, what about banned elections? Yeah. And what did you find out? It's not if it's not in there, written in there, it's not included. You yeah. can't interpret like when you're looking at policies and law, there isn't there is a bit of interpretation, mm -hmm. but you need the exact words in the law. Yeah. Because you don't want it to be misinterpreted. So since band council wasn't on there, they said no. Right. Well, they did. Well, Sastel's a great employer, so of course they gave me some time yeah. off, but they could have said no. Mm-hmm. So yeah. since they could have, there was that room for interpretation, like right. you said. So this is something that you're like, this needs to change. We need right. to get this. So tell me a little bit about that. How that happened is I actually went to my local union, mm -hmm. um, which was Unifor. And we got that bargained into our collective agreement and actually came through a memorandum of understanding through yeah. SASTEL and Unifor. 
And I was able to share that all over Canada through Unifor because it's the, it's Canada's biggest union. Yep. I was able to share that and get a few of these this into collective agreements. Then we went to the Sask Federation of Labor, yep. passed it as a resolution, which was you know impressed enough of the pants off David Forbes, yep. uh, f- former MLA David Forbes in Saskatoon, that he took decided to take it to legislature. Yeah, and we got it we got it changed because, you know, I'd taken it to my own MLA mm-hmm. and he, the, the reply I got was like, where were you when we were drafting this stuff? Oh my gosh. I'm like, dude, <laughs> yeah, like, I have a lot of other things going on. And also had no idea I was wanting to run for council. Right. And this oh. was like just a few years before I'm like, like I was in no headspace at that time to yeah. be thinking about this. Right. So it was like a, inconvenience that he now had to go do this rather than this is the right thing to the do the right thing to do and like when you know david forbes like i just love the guy i'm sad he retired mm-hmm. um but he took it because it is the right thing to do and it was an easy ask yeah you know so did and you meet any resistance to tell you the truth no good no awesome it was one of the easiest things i've done and you know it's kind of weird because like i would go to these meetings and i'd be like hey you know, tell me what your goal in life is. Mm-hmm. And I'd always write down, I want to change the law. And everybody would look at me like weird. Interesting. That's <laughs> like awesome. as if you could do that, you yeah. know, and I did. Yeah. And it was like, it took time, but it was easy to do. So what does that feel like for you now, knowing that you have made an impact, you have changed the law? It's kind of weird because it gives me some ownership of the world that we live in. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, okay, we're living in a world where I actually changed, made this change, mm-hmm. you know? And it's in like the laws as right Jana's so law. it's Jana's law so basically it means if anybody's working off reserve so under the provincial sask provincial system if you want to um if you're asked by your people mm-hmm. to run for council that off reserve job will be held for you mm-hmm. um so you can do your work because oh, awesome. it is public service right yeah, totally and what it does too now is if anybody was thinking about it before and they're like, oh, there's some gray area here and my employer might not be as supportive of that, it now gives them that ability to make game-changing moments for their reserve and their First Nation. So that's really awesome. How does that feel for you? Well, to me, it was like there was just so much things happening at the time. There was the Transparency Act. There was all of these residential school policies and one of those policies is the reserve has nothing for you. You got to be a worker. You got to move off the reserve. Yeah. Well, you've got all of these educated people that are seeking their education off reserve, working off reserve, mm-hmm. employed off reserve. But what happens when they want to? They're asked to come back. Yeah. You know that's a huge sacrifice totally. that we're asking people to give up their jobs. Yep. To come work for, you know, at the time I was making way more at Zastel than I would be making as a yep. counselor. For sure. So, you know, did I want to leave that? No. But what it also does in in Saskatchewan, it allows for um, more regular people to be involved in leadership positions. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, it's not just, just you know, anything. 100%. It's just you're having real people. Like a full-time politician. Now you can do things that I work as a marketing analyst at Sastel, but I want to also come back and impact change on right. my First Nation. Right. Yeah, that's awesome. So you're getting a lot more regular people, a lot of work experience, you know, because a lot of times when you're looking at candidates that don't have it, mm-hmm. that's 
who's leading your nation, right? right. Like yes. we want to make sure that you're having the most successful people yep. contribute back because the reserves do face a lot of brain drain. Yes, totally. And now what a great opportunity for people to come back to their communities and help build their communities with all of their experience that they are gaining all across the world. That's so great. It's so exciting. Yeah. Like, you know, like it's, it's kind of surreal because yeah, I did it, but I'm like, okay, now it's like, okay, what, what, what's next? Totally. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. <laughs> you know, yeah, you never know what's next, but now there's more possibilities for some really cool things. To right. Happen. Right. So like that, has led me now to work with Bill C-92 on our reserve. Mm -hmm. So we're actually drafting our own traditional laws yeah. to look after child welfare. So, so cool. Um, this is, it's led to some exciting opportunities where you can really make change. Yeah. Awesome. But also too, like for me, the Bill C-92 committee is the opposite of the residential school committee. Okay. It brings my circle together. Oh. So I, I have, I was dealing with the past, right? Yeah. And the, and the Canadian policies that affected us. Yeah. Whereas now we're looking to the future of our children yeah. and looking at our traditional views and ways to move our children forward. And so cool. Yeah. So, so you're, you've really taken on helping with the past, the present and now the future. Right. So cool. You know, it's, it's, it's about living your life in circles, right? Yes. Oh, so true. That just gave me chills. So <laughs> um, let's talk about what, a next part about your journey about uh, your daughter dream so you're a mother to your adorable daughter she is so cute tell me about finding out that you're going to be dream's mother so finding out is i was so happy when i like i wanted it like i wanted another child like yeah. i want i had my son but like i'm i've got five sisters yeah so having a boy was very new to me. And I'm like, I just want a little girl that looks <laughs> like me with curly hair. Sure. So I found, we found out she was, I was pregnant and they, you know, the doctors were onto something. Cause like when I was pregnant, I was really sick. Mm -hmm. Like I can't, like I only gained eight pounds oh. with her and she was six and a half pounds of the eight pounds that I gained. Yeah. And I didn't know why. And so we had all of this testing. They thought she was going to be something else. Mm -hmm but everything was saying normal, you know? And so giving birth to her, she was completely normal, or so we thought, mm -hmm. but she had a bulgy soft spot on her head. Mm -hmm. So the doctor said, well, let's just, you know, to be safe, let's go get an ultrasound on it. Yeah. Sent it to me. And I was like in shock because the um, ultrasound like tech was like, didn't you get any prenatal care? And I'm like, um, oh. yeah, I was actually at the high risk doctor. Yeah. <laughs> you know? So she thought that you were being like, like I was, wasn't being careful enough or something. Like, yeah. I don't know what it was. And I'm like, yeah, no, I've gotten all the care I needed to. I even went through an amniocentesis, all mm -hmm. of this testing, went through genetic testing. Yeah. And the doctors completely missed it until she was five days old when she was diagnosed with a huge brain tumor taking up half the size of her where her brain should be. Oh my gosh. So could that have been detected prior to? Uh, yes. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm so sorry that, that I can, I can't even imagine how that shook your world. What did that feel like for you? You know, looking back on it, I actually think things happen the way they did for a reason. Okay. So had I, had I, had we known prior to her being born, I would have been so sick with worry mm. 
I would have not been able to, of course, function correctly because all this worriedness would have impacted me because mm-hmm. I was a different person back then, you know, yeah, <laughs> like yeah. <laughs> yeah. really was. Um, and then I, I would have had to have a C-section. Right. And so that recovery for me would have been hard. So I wouldn't have been able to be there the way that I was for my child, right? Wow. So if you would have known prior to the worry would have manifested into so many different things and then you would have had to have a C-section. So you would have not been as equipped to take on right. what came next. Because the way that I, I exuded my stress was through walking. Sure. So when she was 10 days old, she went in for her first brain surgery, ended up being, you know, from the time I dropped her off with the surgeon to when I was able to see her in um, the pediatric ICU, our PICU, mm-hmm. was about 9, 10 hours. Yeah. In that 9, 10 hours... I walked probably about 15 kilometers that day. Oh my gosh, just like around. Just around pacing because, you know, that's what helped me do the residential school work because my definition of hell was redefined that day. Oh my gosh. So my definition of hell is now sitting in a waiting room when I'm totally like can't do nothing except wait. So that redefined almost like worst case scenario for you. Absolutely. Oh my gosh, I have chills. So <laughs> what goes through your mind as you're pacing and you're walking and you're waiting? What's that like for anybody that hasn't had to go through something like this where you're releasing your child into a very scary situation? If it wasn't for my sister and my my family being there that day, yeah, I, I don't know how I would have went through it. Like sure. it was just little moments during that day that kind of broke things up. Like to tell you the truth, a lot of times my mind blocks out a lot of those things just because it's trauma, right? Totally. But what I do remember of that day was my nephew, we were all sitting in the waiting room waiting for the doctor to call us to give us an update, Mm -hmm. as everybody does in that waiting room. And my nephew was was a few months older than Dream. Mm -hmm. He was having his bottle, and then he ended up having projectile puke all over us. Oh my gosh. (laughs) So, you know, those are the little things that you got to like just grab on and hold on to. Yeah, because in a way it's like a moment of levity where you're just like, this is normal. Like this is any other day. This would be, oh, crap. But this actually gave you a little bit of something to take your mind off of it. Also, too, is we I took my my son and my niece to the batting cages. So oh, that you? was like quite. <laughs> you probably <laughs> smoked so many home that. runs. <laughs> just was smoke for the fences, eh? It was like, I, I was like, I really needed that. So, yeah. you know, and afterwards, Dream had more surgeries. So what we did is every time she has a surgery, we kind of plans to do like kind of something family-ish. Yeah. So she had another big surgery a few months after that. And we ended up going glow, glow golfing while she was in surgery. Yeah. So it just gives you some time to wrap yourself around your family and give yourself like a mindless task to do together right exactly where we're you know like yeah you're gonna be like really nervous and a ball of nerves Mm -hmm. but you know as long as you plan for it Mm -hmm. you'll get through it and what else are you going to do right like you you'll you'll just eat yourself up with right right worry and guilt and all this sort of stuff right like it it's a crazy like situation to be in Mm -hmm. um and not everybody can plan for something like that totally um, but when you've been through it so much times, yeah. you have to. So she has her surgery. 
they send send it over to to get tested. Tell me about the news you received when you got back the pathology of Dream's tumor. It took about two weeks for the pathology to come out and mm-hmm. figure out what it was. But I had this understanding that a brain tumor, whether it's malignant or benign, a brain tumor is a brain tumor. Yeah. It's kind of like for for us, it was fortunate that it was a malignant brain tumor because brain tumors don't necessarily move out of your body like yeah. other types of cancers. Sure. Um, so I find ourselves lucky because it could have been worse in that sense. So what does that mean? So if it was like... Let's say if you've got, you know, so, like let's say for instance... And mm, older adults, you get breast cancer, but then the cancer spreads okay. and moves. So if she was going to get a cancer, you were you felt lucky that it was in her head where it's not going to move right, elsewhere. Right. Okay. Right. Gotcha. Um, but the thing about it is that it was a pediatric cancer. So, and it her type of cancer is very rare. Yes. So the fact that she even made it through the first week. Yeah. Prior to surgery was phenomenal. The fact she got through the surgery was phenomenal. Right. Um, and wasn't, it's like, I read a stat on, wasn't like one other form of, of case of this cancer ever or something like that? There, There is not, yeah, there, it's like, okay, so I had to search for other parents, right? Yeah. Because like as a medical mama, you search for who, who else went through 100%, this. 100%, yeah. I found medical mamas with different types of cancer, but not the same type. Yes. I've only found one other person. One other I'm, person. That I've been able to talk to in Canada that went through it. And he went through it when he was a teenager, so not as a child. So there was just no direct playbook on how, what to expect, things like that. You could kind of splice from different conversations. You're right. So I actually had to go into reading medical journals. Oh my gosh. Yeah, fun reading, yeah. but I was looking for slivers of hope, right? Yes. Um, read this one medical journal, found the expert, I guess you would call it, in Canada, yeah. called him up directly at his office <laughs> at you? the University of Calgary, had an hour-long conversation. He's like, how did you get my number? I'm like, oh, I just looked it up. 100%. <laughs> you can find anybody. <laughs> oh, that's interesting. I had to do the same thing when my dad was sick. My mm-hmm. sister had her phone open with the medical journal. I had my phone open with thesaurus.com to figure out what these words like when when they're writing these scholarly journals like it's really hard to understand well the kind of the cool thing about it is i did take a medical terminology class back in the day oh you so did like, <laughs> you're like i'm a equipped a little bit of latin <laughs> yeah <laughs> that's one of those things where you're like at the time you're taking you're like I don't know why I'm doing this right now, but it will pay off someday. Yeah, and exactly. Like a lot of those little things that happen in life, the creator doesn't put it in your path. Sure. If you aren't going to need it, you know what I mean? Like you will use it at some point in your life. And there you were years later taking, utilizing your medical terminology course. And I'm like sitting there going, he's like, it's a teratoma. I'm like, oh crap, what's a teratoma? Tera means monster. Yeah. Oma means cancer. Yeah. Monster cancer. Yep. What a what a two word term that nobody wants to hear. Right. And so, you know, and it was kind of cool because like when they resected her tumor, they actually found hair inside of her tumor. What? Yeah. So her tumor is a type that can grow like teeth, hair, eyeballs. Oh my gosh. Yeah. And especially when she's that young, right? Like right. she had hair constantly growing. growing. Yeah, she had hair growing inside of her head and outside yeah. too. Very interesting. 
like horrifyingly interesting like yeah those are like it's actually like that scary kind yeah. like you've seen i'm sure you've seen like those gross cancer pictures that's yes. the kind this is the kind of cancer she has right so how does this news that this is a malignant tumor this isn't just a one-time surgery how does that shake your world well you know you're only going by it a day at a time sure right so we thought that you know, she was going to be great. Mm-hmm. You know, the doctor was very confident that he got all of the tumor out. But, you know, it grew from a microscopic amount mm-hmm. to two golf ball sized tumors by the time she was four months old. So in four months, that's yep. how much it grew. Yep. Oh, my gosh. It's from my, and like, that's why they call it a monster a tumor. A monster tumor. So... What comes next? So you're, are you, were you allowed to take we, her home we, and then you had to just keep monitoring it? Yeah. So, you know, like we knew she was going to have cancer, like, you know, we knew it because cancer. So they put in a port and, um, put in a shunt for her and then her tumors grew back. We took those two tumors out mm-hmm. and then they grew back again. So she's got really actually, you know, she's got five tumors in there yeah. and, we're like, Kate, we're just going to live our lives. We're not going to do any treatments. We're going to stop the treatments mm-hmm. until we found her out that her tumors just stopped growing. Oh. Miraculously. What? Yeah. So just they just did a, they were just monitoring with a scan. They're like, you know what? This is actually there, growing anymore. We can change our treatment plan. Right. Here. So we ended up going in, finishing our cancer treatment. The tumors do still show slight growth, mm-hmm. you know, and where we are still talking with the doctors because like slight growth after slight growth after slight growth. Mm-hmm. What does that add up to over X number of years? Yeah. Because all of this happened in her first year of life mm-hmm. and she just turned four in August. So now it's the monitoring, right? Quality of life. So, Janet, this is such a roller coaster to be on. You're well, going from palliative to curative, all of this sort of stuff. Yeah, and, being and thrown at you. How are you feeling? In the middle of all that. So we were doing cancer treatments for Dream. Mm-hmm. At the same time, we were doing it for Grandma. Oh, no. Grandma did not make it. Mm-hmm. And Dream was very sick. So we lost Grandma in the middle of... You know, within, you know, I would say about eight months of when Dream was born, Mm -hmm. within six months of when she was born. Yeah. Um, So we thought we were on the mend, you know, like we got finished treatment, Mm -hmm. Dream's doing good. And it all felt like a daze and a haze because like I was going through massive grief with grandma. 100%. With, you know, this happening to my baby. And, you know, living life again to only find out that my papa... Also diagnosed with a brain tumor. Oh my gosh. You know, but on the other hand, I think he was happy about it because he prayed so hard. He said he would pray to take the tumor away from Dream. So when he got his tumor, it felt to him like his prayers were answered. Was this around the same time that Dream's tumor stopped growing? Yep. Oh wow. About a year after Dream's tumor started growing, that's when he was diagnosed because he was having seizures. Oh, wow. So he was having supper in Western Pizza, North Regina. All of a sudden, he fell with a massive seizure. Yeah. So we took him to the Pasco where he was diagnosed. And the cool thing about it is that all of the medications were the same medications Dream was on. Right. So I knew the side effects. Yeah. I knew what I had to ask the, the, the hospital staff to do for my papa because of the side effects. Yes. I knew what I needed to do for Papa because I knew he was going to be hot and he was going to be hungry from the decks. Mm -hmm. And if you're a medical mama, you know what the decks is. (laughs) Right. So as a caregiver, 
you knew kind of how to support in those moments. Absolutely. I even knew the neurosurgeon, mm. you know, and I, I asked him, was like, because he, I was like, in, in relation to Dream's tumor, to Papa's tumor, he's like, well, Dream is about a seven, eight, your Papa's about a one, two. Oh my gosh. In terms of like 10 being the worst, yeah. you know? And the only request I had was like, can you make sure? Because I, th- I asked him about the scar for Papa. And they're like, well, we'll do a horseshoe. I'm like, I only got one request to see if you can make sure the scar matches dreams. Oh my gosh. Cute. So. And well, did it? Yes, oh of course. Oh my gosh, that's so cute. So they, so dream and Papa and like, Papa has no shame yeah. with all the other grandkids of saying this is Papa's baby. Yeah. <laughs> Honestly, like you're marked the same way now because of it oh that's and i used to tease them like are your tumors talking to each other (laughs) (laughs) what kind of comes next give me a glimpse into what being the mother of a child with complex medical needs is like what sort of things do you have to adapt to that are just now normal for you that weren't before well for one Normal for us was isolating. So when COVID hit, no. we were we were pros at it. Sure. <laughs> you know, like we were in isolation because prior to that, because Dream had no immunization, she had went through chemo. Yeah. Very low immunity. So we were used to living in isolation and yeah. we were just about to start living again and then COVID hit. Oh gosh. So we were really pros at like knowing how to wash our hands, knowing how to like yeah. keep stuff out of the house, right. you know? Yeah. So yeah, we were, we, we felt safe that way. Yeah. You know, like, I don't know about you. One of the tips I always share is, you know, if you are in, you know, if you were working in public when COVID first hit, wear two layers of clothes and keep your laundry basket by the door yeah. so you could just decontaminate by throwing off that top layer of clothing and you're you're ready to go you're like old hat we've seen this before what else about like caring for dream that you had to get used to or adapt to right now dream is pretty pretty complex she's got her wheelchair she does not um move on her own Mm -hmm. um so we've really had to like adjust how we live Mm -hmm. like we're still in adjustment for that you know because not Everything is wheelchair accessible. Mm -hmm. And as much as places like you would think are wheelchair accessible or not. Yeah. You know, like West End, for example. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Honestly. Yep. It makes sense. Like you're, you want to travel and create these experiences and it's not like Like going, going to the beach with a wheelchair. Like, (laughs) you know? Yes. Totally makes sense. Right. So did you have to like completely renovate your home in order to make we're this happen? still kind of on that sure um we i still need to well, actually i don't even know what i need to do these days but yeah. <laughs> relatable <laughs> like there's so much other things and then it's like my house Ugh. yeah for sure you know um but yeah no a lot of stuff with dream and we, she goes to hope's home daycare yep. amazing facility yep. um they've got a nurse on site mm-hmm. and it feels good because i get to share those responsibilities of dream with hope's home yeah so it's not all on me they take care of some of it 100 percent. and just think of like the stress that would have on you to be able to share that with somebody to also give jana an opportunity to build an identity outside of just being a mother with someone who has medically complex needs 
what that would do for you. It's nice to have the respite. But for me, what I see is Dream has a more active social life than I do. Right. She's got friends. Sure. You know, she's got stuff that she does on her own without me. And that's what's important is that she's living a good life. She's being as much of a normal kid as you could possibly be, you know? Honestly. So what kind of costs do you have to take on when you have a child with medically complex needs? Oh, okay. So we are, you know, the medical system, when you're First Nation and treaty status compared to regular Canadians, they're two different things. Interesting. Tell me why. So, you know, you'd think you would be going to tell a miracle for stuff, mm-hmm. but, but you're not, you're not, um, you can't because you've got Jordan, you got to go through Jordan's principle. Interesting. Yeah. Like, I, ne- I never would have thought about that. But, yeah, like, because she's covered through Jordan's principle makes us an ineligible for telemiracle. Oh, my gosh. So what is Jordan's principle? Jordan's principle was done by Cindy Blackstock with Jordan River. I can't remember his last. I think it's Jordan River. And basically what it was is the province and the feds couldn't decide who was going to cover his costs. Mm-hmm. So they um, passed this thing, and it's so now, like, if you're treaty, non-treaty, but still have that Indigenous identity, you apply to Jordan's principal, and they'll cover a lot of your medical costs. Interesting. So things like Telemiracle that would, like, help and is designed to help families going through something like this, you're ineligible for because you're already receiving some sort of funding elsewhere. And, And it's hard because not a lot of social workers are trained in... I would say the Canadian mm-hmm. way and the Canadian path, but not the First Nation path. Right. So, like, there's a huge separation in how services are yeah. delivered. And then there's, like, the levels of bureaucracy with, with Jordan's principle, right? Mm. So every time that you apply, even though Dream's a frequent flyer, yeah, I would call her a frequent flyer. <laughs> right. yeah. um, every application, we have to start brand spanking new. Oh, my gosh. So we were really fortunate that it took us about four months and we got a wheelchair van for her. So that's a blessing. Yep. Um, a lot of her equipment that she gets yeah, it takes a while, but you know, it's either covered by first nation health benefits or yeah. Jordan's principal. Yeah. So, and right now, um, Jordan's principal covers her daycare. So it's no cost to, to, to me. So yeah. that's a, that's really fortunate. Totally. So what other costs would there be? You talked about like like you need a van specifically for um, Dream to get her wheelchair into. Right. You talked about daycare. What lifts. other things do you have to take on? We gotta take we gotta figure out lifts and how we're my house is gonna support a lift. Yep. Um, of course, you know, ramps, lifts, even bathrooms and showers. Yes. All things that we don't even think about. And like we live in an old, like those old, um, like our house is over a hundred years old. Right. So it's a two story. Yes. Um, and just thinking about like having her, like, man, I dream of having a flat house. Yeah. <laughs> that would be so tough. Do you have lifts in your home to be able to help with? I got dream? a fifteen-year-old six-one-two-thirty son. Yeah, that that lifts. <laughs> yes. Oh my gosh. Yeah. So I don't know what I'm gonna do without him when he it's his turn to move out. Totally. But and you know it makes sense right like everybody is in their own stages of financial well-being not everybody has this luxury of like oh we'll just pay to put in a lift and things like that and like when it comes to that kind of stuff like i've 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 quit my job yes like i worked at sastel for over 16 years and mm-hmm. i 
I resigned because I couldn't handle the stress mm. of looking after Dream. Mm-hmm. You know, being a caregiver, being a mom, while yeah. looking after my papa, looking after Dream, and myself. Yeah. You and know? you're a single mother, right? And I'm a single mom. Yeah. So there's like only so much I could do in a day. Mm-hmm. Um, and especially after having so much losses, yeah. I just didn't have any time to recover. Mm-hmm. Um, and my body wasn't letting go of stress. Right. So that was about a little over a year and a half ago that I quit and just been kind of, you know, financially mm, making it work. How do you make that work? I was living off of my RRSPs. Okay, you sure. Know, and savings that I had because this is a time like I, I, I was told that you know, when you're in this type of situation, this is what your savings are for. Right. Yes. <laughs> it's kind of where I've been at. And mm-hmm. also too, is like, we don't really have, like, we don't go any place. Sure. <laughs> like, yeah. You know what I mean? Like with COVID everything, it's not like we were going any place, yeah. you know, we weren't doing any traveling, doing yeah. anything big or expensive. Right. It was just groceries, living, Yeah. you know, making sure we had gas. There's not a whole lot of other expenses that we really have. Yep. So, we talked about kind of like those costs, like the financial costs. Tell me about like the mental health impacts that would have as, as a parent of a medically complex child, how has this impacted your mental health and how do you support yourself through it? You know, I always tell people that when you're going through this type of stuff, don't be too hard on yourself. Mm-hmm. One of the biggest things I did and I've done is I've always like, I knew when, things were getting bad that mm-hmm. I would ask for help. Um, but I also took a lot of times to have baths. And what I would do is I would sit in my bathtub, cry, right. be, you know, sad or whatever, but I would let the water kind of heal me. Okay. But what I would do is I would look into the drain as the water was going down the drain. Yeah. And I would tell me, tell it, it would take away all my problems, drain sure. away all my problems. Oh, wow. So it's a, like a visual kind of mindset thing to help you kind of cope through some of the stresses. Yes. Yes. Because I find water is super healing. Sure. Like it, like water is life. And yeah. yes, I went down to Standing Rock, yeah. <laughs> you know, <laughs> but I believe in the power of how much it heals Right. and just having a great bath, Yeah. you know, my time alone, even today, I still have baths and I still look at the water going down the drain. Yeah. Just to help you kind of recenter yourself. Right. Whatever it takes, right? Totally right. understand that. So did you have to, like, from a post-traumatic stress disorder, like I lots still, of parents battle that? Yeah. Did, is this something you went through? I still, what I go through right now, yeah. I still suffer from PTSD. Mm-hmm. Um and it's called, I also have scanxiety. Scan so it's a little different yeah. than anxiety. So sure. anxiety is the fear of the unknown. Yeah. Whereas scanxiety, which is from the different scans that you have, that you go through as a medical parent. Yes. You know, what are they going to find in this next scan? So when Dream has an appointment, is that leading up to you really feel it? Is it after it's, it's done? It's basically every three months when we have an MRI mm-hmm. and I get anxiety from the time we have the MRI to when we get the results. Because oh. we've had times where the neurosurgeon came and found us in the MRI department because it was that bad. Yes. So <laughs> you know? you're, you're like waiting for the other shoot to drop. Well, to me, the weight is what makes me realize it's not so serious. Yes. Yeah. Because, you know, things here in Canada, when when stuff is really bad, the doctors are definitely going to flag you down, right? Yeah. Right away. 
Yeah. But if it's not that serious, you've got that bit of time and that bit of wait. Yeah. And to me, that wait is a positive sign. Yeah. That's when people say no news is good news in moments like that. Yeah. You're used to seeing like, okay, if it's bad, I'm going to get a phone call here or somebody's going to take me into a room to tell me some pretty, pretty sad news. Yeah. And those rooms are not fun. Right. So Dream just turned four in August and has undergone seven surgeries. Mm Mm-hmm. Tell me about the odds and the statistics that Dream has had to continue to defy. So Dream, number one, the fact she's here mm-hmm. is defying any odd. Yeah. So, you know, um, she there was a 94% chance she wouldn't make it through the first week. 94. Yep. Oh, my gosh. And so 7% chance just to be here. The fact she got through one surgery, but two, three, and chemo. And even in the middle of that, she even caught rotavirus. <laughs> she got she got COVID. And she got COVID. You know, she's oh. it's crazy. She even had her port was infected. There was just like anything that could happen happened. And have you had had conversations with doctors where they have said, you know what, Jana, like it is going. She's probably has like this amount of time to survive. Have you had yep. those conversations? Yep. What does yeah, that, that feel was like? the hardest part. And she was 10 months old at the time. Mm-hmm. And we got this call and they asked the whole family to come in. And it was a meeting between the oncologist and the um, palliative care doctor. And they were going over what we were going to expect in the next few months. And they gave us about that, telling us that she had about six months left. And we're about three years past that point. (laughs) So. Oh, my gosh. And what does that feel like as a mother to receive that news? I don't know. I must be kind of a robot because I just like continue on with life. And we've made that decision to live life, Mm -hmm. not extend it. Right. So, you know, to me, it was like having little outings, doing little things with my kids, you know, making sure we're creating great memories together. Love that. Live life, not extend it. Right. Focus on the present rather than down the road. Right. Love that perspective. You know. What's that like to provide that support to Dream and these other families? Obviously, the Jim Pattison Children's Hospital in Saskatoon has, has made quite a difference how has that made a difference in both yours and, and Dream's journeys? Well, oh my God, the new hospital is phenomenal. It's mm. like a spa. So right. when we go stay there now, it's like not like before. Yeah. Because we were in the old hospital. I remember my first night in that hospital. Um, they led us to a room with, you know, six other people in it. Yeah. And they still had the curtains. Yeah. So there was this space between the floor and the curtain. And here's it given me a mat to sleep on the floor next to Dream. Oh my gosh. Did I sleep that night? No. No. It wasn't. And I was still healing. Like, you got to remember, I'd just given birth too, mm-hmm. right? So, like, can you imagine me sleeping on the floor next to a crib with C section stitches? No, there's no way. Yeah. Yeah. What else does this children's hospital in Saskatoon provide for you? Oh my gosh. Um, 
I don't have to go anywhere except to Saskatoon. Yeah. That's the blessing of it all. Like, it's all there. Like, all of our doctors, when we go there, Dream is, everybody knows Dream. Mm -hmm. So, you know, we've made friends with a lot of the staff, you know, because you see them so regularly. Like, you don't want to see them, but yeah. you do see them. Yeah. And they become very much involved with you. Mm -hmm. Like, they see Dream grow and they're just so proud. You know what I mean? Like, it's it's just a happy environment for us yeah. because there is so much time when we, we were in the old ward and it was stressful. Like we were there one night when a child passed away and it was one of the most heartbreaking nights of my life in that hospital Yeah, or especially watching that family and thinking, you know, that's, that's when you're counting your own blessings. Yeah. And I think you can't undersell the value of feeling like home in the moments of you're going through this sort of stuff. So you're talking about going up to Saskatoon before you had to like go to Edmonton, all that sort of stuff. There's travel costs involved there. And even knowing people around you, it takes that layer of anxiety and anxiety that you're right. talking about. and kind of just lowers that to a copable amount and, you don't have to focus on all of those barriers and obstacles in front of your way. Right. Like Saskatoon, it's just a hop, skip and a jump away. Right. Yeah. Like I'm just happy that we haven't really had to go too far. Like we haven't had to go to the States. We haven't had to go any place, yeah. you know, except stay in here and go to Saskatoon. Like, you know, I went to the University of Saskatchewan. I've lived there for years and it was great because, you know, there was friends, there was support. And I didn't feel as alone as I would have if I was anywhere else yeah okay let's take a quick break you heard it from jenna herself the jim pattison children's hospital makes such a meaningful difference for families who need it most i have becky trombley on the line who is a community engagement associate at connexus becky can you tell us a little bit about the making spirits bright initiative how it's helping the hospital and what else connexus is doing in the community i sure can mason like connexus credit union thrive its wealth management company is a strong advocate of improving the financial well-being security of its clients and communities. Through our commitment to the vitality and health of Saskatchewan children, we've partnered with Food Banks of Saskatchewan, Stars Air Ambulance, and for the past two years, the Jim Patterson Children's Hospital with their Making Spirits Bright holiday giving campaign as their matching fund sponsor. The campaign's goal is to raise funds for the purchase of much needed equipment life-saving training and resources for the Children's Hospital. By matching donations up to $50,000 throughout the giving season, we hope to inspire others to give a gift that improves the life of children and their families. Also, in the past five years, Connexus has invested over $1.3 back into our province in support of health and wellness to help residents navigate life. Working alongside our community partners enables us to deliver our purpose of improving the financial well-being of our members and our communities. And by the way, the Connexus Community Investment Fund will open again in February 2023. And we encourage you to identify needs in your community and submit an application for funding on connexus.ca. Thanks, Becky. You'll love to hear it. A matching contribution around the holiday season and 50,000 reasons to make kids smile. Just so awesome. Such great work. Now let's get back to our interview with Jana. Makes sense. So give me a status update on how Dream's doing right now. 
oh, Dream is like living life. You know, <laughs> she is, she's got her own world. She knows exactly what she wants. Yeah, awesome. <laughs> We're getting excited because, man, she loves to be pretty. Yeah. She loves to get ready, get her hair did. Uh-huh. She loves to look pretty. Um, and she loves her cocoa melon. Mm-hmm. Every kid right. in the world loves Coco Melon. Like right as now, we were apparently. saying earlier, Coco Melon kids are going to rule the world. <laughs> <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> Coco Melon kids are going to uh, run for band council because of Janice right? Law now because of you. Right? Yeah. <laughs> I get to influence the world these Coco Melon yeah. kids are growing up in. It's, it's just amazing. Awesome. And like, we can't cheese Coco Melon kids because, yeah. you know, like. They, they can just operate some of this stuff like nothing, right? Sure. Yeah. Oh. There are, there's parents listening to this right now being like, uh, Coco Melon is on 24-7 in my home. You know, don't don't be hating on the Fortnite. Don't be hating on the Clash Royale or yeah. any of these games because what I did, like I'd be in Saskatoon with Dream, right? Yeah. And I'd be, you know, in the hospital room with Dream. My son will be was here still in Regina. Yeah. And the way that we stayed connected is we played games together. Oh, cute. So we would play Fortnite together. Yeah. Um, would play, we play Clash Royale together. We play yeah. anything that, like, you know, on our phones that we could still stay together. And it's how I kept my family together was through gaming. And as we talked about, you, when you're going through these sort of things, you just want to give yourself like a mindless task or something or right. something to take your mind off of it. Right. Totally makes so sense. like, you know, I'm sitting in the hospital room playing Fortnite on my phone with my son. Yeah. So do you beat your son in Fortnite or does he? Oh gosh. My, I, my kid has the hands of God. I can, there's no way I could beat him. <laughs> oh good. Like, and I was a gamer back in the day, right? Yeah. Like I played a lot of games back in the day and like, sure. you want to know what's funny is my son inherited my gamer tag. Amazing. So he is, we fight over who is Tasha Smirnoff. That's Chose, your gamer tag? That's my gamer tag. It's because I wanted a bond name. <laughs> Oh, this is one of the funniest things I've ever heard before. So Tasha Smirnoff. Tell yes. me tell me about the origin story of Tasha so, Smirnoff. Tasha Smirnoff <laughs> was my first person shooter bond name. <laughs> So I use it. I was using it when I was playing like um, Call of Duty and yeah. America's Army back in the day. And then um, all of a sudden, you know, my son was playing games and I'm yeah. like, hey, just use my account. Just use my account. Right. <laughs> so you know Tasha Smirnoff. So now he's Tasha Smirnoff. So Tasha Smirnoff. So you went with like this, uh, like a brand of, of alcohol and kind of like um a foreign sounding name, just like basically the formula for every bond. Right. Person. Right. <laughs> <laughs> oh gosh. Cause that's I wanted to be like, you know, like I want to sound as if I was like off of 007. hundred percent being right? like, Oh, Tasha Smirnoff. She got me. Right. We should have known. She's the best assassin ever. Amazing. Tasha, <laughs> Tasha Smirnoff licensed to kill. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, so that's funny. Now, now I'm looking at my son and he's got his little games up and I see his, Gamer tag and it says Tasha Smirnoff. He's carrying on the legacy. Oh my gosh. Okay, let's get back to it. So, <laughs> so tying it all together, what advice would you give to anyone who is finding out their their child will have some medically complex needs? You know what? Feel every emotion. Mm. Don't ever suppress any emotion that you're feeling because when you're feeling like it's grief, right? Like 
like I don't know how else to describe the emotions that you're going through other than grief yeah. because you grieve you're grieving for that old life yeah. or you're grieving for what you thought was going to be feel it you know because you're not going to get over not going to get through it unless you're feeling those genuine emotions yeah totally and take your time as I said don't be hard on yourself you know if you are, your body's going to react to it. Like the creator is going to sit you down and make you sit still if sure. you don't look after yourself. Yeah. So reflecting back on your entire journey, what have you learned about yourself after going through residential schools? You have Jenna's Law. You have your journey with Dream. What have you learned about yourself through this journey? It takes a lot to break me. Yeah. I would never have gotten through this mm -hmm. if I didn't keep my humor sure you know you're like, showing me your tiktoks before this you've got <laughs> right. you've got a good sense of humor so like if you don't check out my tiktoks jana pratt eight <laughs> tasha smirnoff <laughs> and like i don't like to perpetuate stereotypes so i'm always just i'm like i'm i don't know how to say this i'm like like so bad yeah <laughs> because i'm always positive sure. like you know like yeah. it could be worse you yeah. know let's get through this what am i gonna do now well there's not not a whole lot i can do now except True. for just living in the moment being yeah. present and going from there and like you said not everybody's gonna like you but you want to be as genuine as possible you just you just radiate authenticity and it's electric and i feel like I want to be your best friend because of it. We can totally be best friends. Do you want to be best friends? Yeah, oh like why gosh. not? I'll play Fortnite with you. Please. That'd be amazing. <laughs> I need to come up with my Bond name. Oh my god. We got to figure out a name for you now. 100%. Hey? Like gamer tag name. Yeah, like, let's do it. Well, like right now though, uh, you know what my new gamer tag is? What's that? I'm now anti Skoden. <laughs> Like Skoden, like what's Skoden? Or like Skoden, <laughs> anti Skoden. <laughs> so, um, what's next for Dream and Jana? Oh gosh, um, we're still kind of debating that. You know, sure. like this is like a nice journey. Like I'm just kind of going with the flow. Yeah. Um, and I know that I need to get back into work some sometime soon here, and I feel like mentally I'm, I'm prepping for that because it's taken a while. Like it's. Like all of this stress adds up over time right? and I've needed to heal from that and move forward mm -hmm. and see where this new, what has changed in me is that I'm not going to settle for anything that I don't believe in. Right. That isn't. Nor should you. Yeah. That I don't believe in. Like I'm not going to be just a worker in the office anymore. I'm going to work for something that I believe in. Yeah. Um, as we were talking earlier, I was helping set up another podcast called the Deadly Uncles Podcast, mm -hmm. um, helping them find guests. Um, we worked on this documentary called They Found Us, which is about our searches on Gordon's for the residential school. And we've wow. got some more projects that we're kind of thinking up. I also run a Facebook group online called GGFN and Area History. Okay. And I've kind of like not done a whole lot in the summer, but now that the snow has fallen it's time to work on storytelling time which is sharing history and yeah. i love sharing history well you do such a great job of not only sharing history but also disrupting the present and the future in just such a positive way so jana before we let you go mm -hmm. i have some speed round questions that i'm gonna sure. throw you at your way okay so <laughs> after the, the tasha smirnoff conversation <laughs> i am so excited for these so let's start with uh, something that Gordon First Nation does better than anyone else. We build matriarchs. Oh, oh. I like that one. Um, the naming some of the 
positive women that have had in my life. You yeah. know, we've got Senator Lillian Dick. We've got Professor Miriam McNabb. We've got Professor... Oh, gosh. And I'm sorry if I forget some of your names. Yeah. Um, not There's just so much influential women yep. from Gordon's. We build matriarchs. We have Jana Pratt. <laughs> we have we have Tasha Smirnoff <laughs> coming up here. You know, oh, so. Oh, that's awesome. Next question for you. Something that you've learned from your son. How to do, how to edit TikToks. Okay, sure. <laughs> so we're in a TikTok battle, him and I. Are you? <laughs> yes. To see who has the most followers or the most views. Oh, I love this. And I was winning. Yeah. Up until last week. Oh, no. He went viral last week for his videos. So what is your TikTok account and what is his TikTok account? Um, he, I am Jana Pratt 8 and he is PP Fam, PP Hams. Okay. <laughs> So, listeners, you can go, you can choose who you want to follow, who you want to support in this TikTok battle. Yeah, yeah. His is, he does a lot of, he's really talented. He's 15. He does a lot of editing. Yeah. He taught me how to work the app. Sure. So, he's like, mom, mom. You're his protege. <laughs> yeah. You're a work in progress. I'm pretty much working for him, so. Oh, that's awesome. The last movie you watched and loved. Man, I'm a Marvel fan, so yeah. it had to be Thor Love and Thunder. It was good. It was like, come on, it's Thor. I haven't like, seen the new one yet. Yeah. yeah. It's Disney Plus, you know, like we don't, I don't get out too, too much, sure. but like Marvel movies. Yeah, yes. For sure. Yes. Awesome. What is your go-to karaoke song? Um, have you ever seen the rain? <laughs> I want to know. Oh God! So it's there CCR. Yes, I didn't of know course. if you were going the Lizzie McGuire movie song or if you were going CCR. At oh, the moment. CCR. Yeah, yeah, CCR. Like definitely because it was the easiest. Or Johnny Cash. Okay, sure. You know because yeah. they're just fun songs. <laughs> yeah. Um, two more questions for you. A tip that you've learned about money. You've always got to have your hustle on. Whether sure. it's, you know, making little items, mm -hmm. you know, you've got to have X amount of streams of revenue coming in. Yeah. Whether it's just your person or something else. Yeah. So you've always got to have a little side hustle going. Sure. You know. Whether it's like a Facebook marketplace. Exactly. A garage sale empire. A part-time job. Right. And like, you know, for a lot of people on the reserve, it's making earrings, doing mm -hmm. beadwork, um, you know, doing little arts and crafts. Like, well, I do painting for fun. Oh, you do? Yeah. Awesome. So I paint for, I've only just discovered this thing. Yeah. <laughs> I realized I could paint. I'm like, crap. Yeah. Amazing. <laughs> what do you paint? I do acrylic. Okay. Um, so I haven't really released. They're just for me, but I like doing, I like incorporating First Nations with newer stuff cool. so i turned this pokeball into a turtle cute um i have a picture i like also like redoing pictures yeah um old pictures so yeah. i have this old picture of my grandfather yeah sitting on a rock but instead of i put him sitting on the iron throne oh instead of the rock so it's almost like you're taking you're melding pop culture references with right. indigenous history right very cool love right. that so so last question for you, what connects us? This beautiful land of ours. Like mm. I feel like super connected to places that I go. I remember like even this past summer, we went, we were out in Cypress Hills and we were coming back and we stopped in the town of Pie Pot. And all of a sudden the bar was open because there was a bunch of bikers and they invited us in. And I just want to take a look at the old building, right? Sure. 
And all of a sudden, I'm telling them history of like Treaty Four and Chief Pipot, and they're like, "What?" And yeah. I'm like, "Yeah, well, thank you. This is my just sharing with you because you invited me in to take a look at this beautiful old hotel." Yeah, so true because the land like stands the test of time. It's going to survive a bunch of different generations, and there's going to be different stories and histories and stories to tell. Jana, thank you so much. I feel like I want to be best friends with you just by your authenticity, the way that you you show up for yourself, the way that you show up for your daughter the way you show up for other people is just so electric i have learned so much from your story of being a survivor of the residential school system a trailblazer for indigenous people in saskatchewan and like one hell of a resilient mother thank you so much for taking some time to share your perspective and your wisdom with us oh you should have me crying there like my throat is just Thank you for inviting me. It's really a pleasure. Love to share stories. And it was a good one. And I'm so glad the snow fell because this is storytelling time. Oh, it's so true. You are so good at the optimistic side because me thinking like, oh, how am I going to drive into work today? Now I'm going to take this as a sign to sit down and uh, be present for a lot more stories. Yeah, like it's the wintertime when the snow falls. That's when we start telling stories. Couldn't agree more. Awesome. Thanks so much, Jana. Thank you. Well, that's it for our chat with Jana and for this episode of the What Connects Us podcast. We'll be back in two weeks, but if you've taken value from this episode, before then, please do us a favor, hit that subscribe or follow button, leave a review of the podcast on whatever platform you're listening to us on, and share the podcast with a friend or on social media. It makes a huge difference and helps us continue to tell these stories. We'll see you in two weeks. Let's connect then.